0: listening to the Down the Wormhole podcast, exploring the strange and fascinating relationship between science and religion. This week, our hosts are...
1: My name is Adam. I teach at Bethany College in Lindsborg, Kansas. My favorite cyborg is Neil Harbison, who is an artist from Spain, who has an antenna implanted in his head so that Audible audible vibrations show up to him, and he can also see Wi-Fi enabled signals as colors.
2: Rachel Jackson, Rabbi at Egoz Israel Congregation, Hendersonville, North Carolina, and my favorite cyborg is fictional, um, and she is Seven of Nine from Star Trek.
3: Ian Benz, associate professor of elementary science education at UNC Charlotte. And I would say that my favorite cyborg is the version of the Terminator that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays in Terminator Dark Fate. He's the older version of the original Terminator, uh, and he's very nice.
0: Zach Jackson, UCC pastor in Redding, Pennsylvania. And my favorite cyborg is also fictional, and that is Philip J. Colson. Oh, Oh, that's a good one. Who was resurrected by alien technology? Right. In Agents of Shield, that was just a an one. all-around Which we great guy. We are just watching. So good. yeah, I let it go. I need to get back to it. Oh, that was
1: a that was a really good one.
0: I had a hard time with it, and like I said, like <sighs> all of my favorite like fictional characters that interact in worlds where there may be cyborg-like people are like the normal human people. And I wonder if I have some deep-seated bias against uh, those who have been augmented by technology. I'm like, you guys, it's unfair. It's unfair. I want the, I want the normal, natural one, which I recognize is is very prejudiced in in terms of science fiction. There may be something still deep-seated in there. I'll work out with my therapist. Anyway, so Adam... Why did you ask us this question that you are the only person who answered with a real person?
1: Well, because it may be deep-seated prejudice that isn't just about science fiction. Hmm. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> no, so I, I think one of the, the interesting things is we've been talking about uh, uh, issues of, of bio-enhancement and things around transhumanism and cyborgs um, is... We talked a little bit the, the last episode that we had about defining a cyborg is actually really difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And if defining it's already difficult, then naming your favorite one is even trickier. But I think Zach sort of hits the nail on the head with this question of, do we have a bias toward the natural? And do we always know what we mean when we say that? Um, and there is a group of folks out there, the transhumanists particularly a group, Humanity Plus, that thinks Zach is just biased, Um, and that that bias from science fiction may be carrying over in important ways into reality against folks who are augmented. Um, And so what I have been particularly interested in out of that group is this question, this, this statement, actually, that they put forward, Um, called the Transhumanist Declaration, which is like a declaration of what they think should be advocated for as we go forward in talking about transhumanism. And that's probably a word that may not be super familiar to everybody, so I can at least unpack it. Um, When we talk about transhumanists, we're talking about human beings who are profoundly altered – by science and technology in the future, which is a vague definition.
3: Yes, it is, because my first
1: thought was, what does profoundly mean? (laughs) Yeah. Jinx. Right? Um, And let me just say, like, there's not real clarity about what profoundly means. But generally, when folks think about transhumanism, I can give you some examples. They think about your consciousness being uploaded into a new body. Or they think about radical enhancements of the body to let you do things that only the $6 million man could do. Um, Or they think about these radical uh, changes in the way in which brains function so that they function quicker or better than just a natural-born person. These tend to be three areas where this happens. There's a fourth, which has a lot to do with resurrection and making sure you don't die or suffer.
3: Is there a requirement to? So I'm curious that transhumanism has to include technology.
1: So in like general, medical.
3: The reason I'm asking is medical advance, like vaccines. Yeah, right. So I just got my first one yesterday. Woohoo! Yeah, congratulations. And so, what I'm curious about. Would that count as improving the human body to perform better? Mm-hmm.
1: So different transhumanist folks are going to answer that question in different ways. And that's the like that's the ambiguity of that profound word, right? Is is a vaccine so commonplace that it doesn't fit in the way we want to talk about transhumanism because it's not a profound augmentation.
2: It is for those that have it. I
1: agree. I would be in the (laughs) camp of folks who look at this and go, yes, (laughs) when you do medical technological advances on someone, they're transhuman. And this is a much wider term.
2: We only need Um, to look at 100 years ago and be like, oh, yeah, it turns out vaccines make people live a lot longer, which is mm -hmm. why we are approaching 8 billion people on this planet.
1: Some folks would say that when we talk about it that way, we're actually talking about post-humanism and that that would be a way of making this distinction between two groups. So transhumanists are thinking about these profound changes. Post-humanists are folks who are saying that line between where technology and human beings intersect is really blurry. Um, and it probably needs to be explored, but the way you would explore it might look really different than transhumanists. So I'll give you the first statement from the transhumanist um, declaration, because I think it gives you a sense of where they're heading, right? Statement one is, humanity stands to be profoundly affected by science and technology in the future. We envision the possibility of broadening human potential by overcoming aging, cognitive shortcomings, involuntary suffering, and our confinement to planet Earth. Um, Statement two, right? A close follow-up, we believe that humanity's potential is still mostly unrealized. There are possible scenarios that lead to wonderful and exceedingly worthwhile enhanced human conditions. So the question then, like for for when we talk about vaccines or something like that, right, is does that fit in with these sort of first two statements of transhumanism or not? And there are scholars who get really excited about this. They're, you know, people like me. Um... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm not sure anybody else should there, be right? excited about it, but I mean, I am super excited about it. Well,
3: so I think the vaccine, you know, so humanity stands to be profoundly affected by science and technology in the future. I think that could obviously, yeah, fits into that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, overcoming aging cognitive shortcomings and voluntary suffering vaccines I, I would say definitely address the possibly even voluntary suffering or can mm-hmm. address that so um confinement to planet earth it may at some point make it so that space travel is easier right so but we just don't know that yet so i think still vaccines could you know humanity's potential is still most
0: unrealized though i i still think that that could fit in It strikes me that there's a broader intentionality around transhumanism as opposed to this sort of patchwork fixes of the advancement of science as is, where at the heart of a lot of what I've read and talked with folks about, there's this implicit understanding that evolution got us this far, but our technological civilization, uh, globalism, all of that has rendered natural selection worthless now. And the weak are no longer dying off. They're thriving and they're having babies. And so for the sake of humanity's future, we can't rely anymore on millions of years of natural selection. It is now our turn to take the next step of human evolution into our own hands to create it ourselves. Am I off base with that? No, I think there's certainly a group in the
1: transhumanist crowd that's there. Um, if you're uncomfortable hearing that at home and go, wow, that sounds a lot like eugenics, you're probably right.
0: Yeah. And this is a big a big way of thinking in the sort of American Silicon Valley billionaire kind of transhumanist movement, where there's this kind of uh, simultaneously, they're holding this apocalyptic the world is about to end nuclear war uh, climate change we're all gonna die we have to cryogenically freeze our bodies and then also this utopian vision for the future where they'll be able to augment themselves so they can survive the apocalypse and create a brand new world and it's all very um libertarian, me focused, the market focused what's best for survival of the fittest it feels very. Um, like 19th century, early Darwinian, colonial, European kind of uh, resurgence with a bit of robotics attached to it.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think like one of the best and probably if if you know, if you've heard about transhumanism before, probably one of the best publicized places where this like vision of transhumanism that Zach's laying out um got into the media with Zoltan Istvan Gyurko which maybe isn't a name that rolls off the tongue or is recognizable but he was the transhumanist candidate for president in 2016. Oh. In our country. In the our country. In America.
3: Yes. Okay. Mm. Uh, I wonder why he didn't win.
1: Uh yeah, so he
3: ran. <laughs> it, was a,
0: <laughs> it was a tumultuous election that year. Yeah.
1: <laughs> nobody's right. Nobody's
0: surprised. No
3: offense to you, sir, if you are listening. I'm just curious.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. So he um, he like publicized his campaign. It made some news channels and and some like major national like write ups were done on it in 2015. He drove the immortality bus across the United States, which was shaped like a giant casket because the central plank of his platform was to overcome death well wow. for all Americans
0: but her emails
2: <laughs> <laughs> he may
0: have had a chance
2: <laughs> not a political show
0: that's all i remember from 2016's election i'm i'm sorry it's a blur uh-huh. <laughs> i just looked him up and see that yes he
3: um
1: yeah okay
2: Yeah, and for our listeners, we'll we'll have them in the show notes Mm -hmm. in case you don't, so you can look them up for you.
1: Your coat wasn't, you know, on the (laughs) front of your tongue. Uh But right, like I mean, I think it's pretty clear, right? He's a person who went from the libertarian to the Republican through the transhumanist his transhumanist party that he invented, right? Like there there is that element, particularly in the American vision of what transhumanism is. That's important to acknowledge. It's also why it's hard to, you know, categorize, right? Like, because on the one hand, I'd say there are transhumanist things that I'm deeply in favor of. Mine are more posthumanist, but, like, I'm clearly not, like, in, you know, Gearko's party here yet. <laughs> <laughs>
2: things that, that strikes me, and if this isn't where you were going, you're wanting to go a different direction, you can tell me to pause, pause my question. Um, the first one, the first declaration that you read had this, the very first statement there was broadening human potential by overcoming aging. Mm-hmm. And the person that you were just referring to drove around in a glorified casket. <clears throat> I wonder how much of this is just the American mentality and fear of death that is, from my perspective, very unhealthy, The our inability as a society, not as individuals, but as a society, our inability to face our own mortality, that we are trying to somehow cling to this idea that, that we won't die and that anything that we can do to prevent us from dying, we should do. And I fundamentally disagree with that. I'm not even saying if you can live to be healthy, not even so even if you have a good quality of life, you still need to die. I probably put, shouldn't put that in the second person, right? Just, well generally. And, and is that where this transhumanism issue or this this concept is coming from is really stemming from a fear of mortality? Or is there more to it, right? Is is there more to it that, that we want to reach our potential? Or is that really crossing the lines into post-humanism? And I think that's where I'm getting stuck on this particular uh, philosophy.
3: Well, Rachel, you saying that makes me think about Star Trek, uh, mm-hmm. actually. Um, and it was this Star Trek Generations, the movie, right? Mm-hmm. The first one that came out from that line, Next Generation. And at the very end, it made me, it reminded me of the fact that, um, you know, uh, Captain Picard tells Riker, you know, this is after the, the Enterprise was destroyed and says, you know, after all, number one, we're only mortal. And Riker, smiling, says, speak for yourself, sir. I plan to live forever. <laughs> now, I don't know all of the history with him, like you you do, obviously, but it makes me think about... If the idea of transhumanism is to potentially live forever, could that make him a transhumanist? <laughs> totally blew your brains with that one, dear listener.
2: <laughs> Riker, the transhumanist. Dear
3: listener. That's right. Come on, Trekkies. fourth
1: wall. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I do think this question about death is really central to transhumanism. And I, I don't disagree. Rachel like I would I would make the argument sort of the same way that you did like the way in which one treats a fear of death is a good marker to separate transhumanism post humanism right um I would also say like I think this fear of death piece is really critical to how this movement gets traction right because I think there's there's a little bit right that if I'm if I'm reading really if I read generously right I'm like yeah Getting old sucks. I don't want to get old. Yeah. Like, there are like cognitive shortcomings. Yeah. I don't want to have cognitive shortcomings as I get old. I'd like to avoid that. If someone could help me avoid that, that'd be great. Now, on the face of it, I kind of go like, okay, yeah, yeah. And then I start pulling that back a little bit, and I go, this should be deeply concerning to people, mm-hmm. like, in the ways that we've been, we've been sort of talking about. So, I guess my question to you all, because it, it, it is, like, something that I wrestle with and don't have a good answer to, is um, I think there's this tendency when we do theology and science, we do religion and science, to say, when we get to an issue like death, Let's leave the mechanics to the science people, and let's leave the like help you confront the fear of that to the religiosity people. And this is a good place where the independence model works, and let none the two shall meet. Right, mm-hmm. but the transhumanists make that really difficult because they're saying like, hey, mm-mm, no, the death part is just bad, right? You should not, mm-hmm. you should not get behind the the death thing. Let that go, and if we have enough techie solutions. We can move on. And and so there's part of me that kind of goes like, I like this question and what transhumanism and movements like it make us ask, because I think it makes us be really cognizant of those fears and the ways we think as a society we should address them. So, sorry, that was a long lead up to the question that I really wanted to ask you all, which is say like... Um, if we're not okay with, hey, medical professionals and scientists, you deal with the mechanics of the body, and hey, religious professionals, you guys deal with people's souls. I can't believe I just said, you deal with people's souls. But anyway. Um, and it's been recorded. It's been recorded, I know. So excited. Someone's not gonna let me live that down, I'm sure. Um, if, we, if we're if we not comfortable with that, then then how do we start What are steps that we need to take to help people think about death charitably? Hmm. I don't like that word, but I'm going to go with it.
2: I mean, I'll answer that from my perspective. The first thing that we have to do is talk about death. First and foremost, we have to talk about it. Not in not in a 6-year-old ha 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 I'm going to kill you. But like in a real <laughs> I say that as a 6-year-old who's always talking about his Lego people dying, right? Not not in that way. In a realistic what is it? Let's talk about it. Let's let's not shy away from it let's not do everything in our power to keep this person alive let's not put a pacemaker in a 95 year old who has alzheimer's mm-hmm. right so where we where we start is by not making it a taboo or a shame subject right that's we have to do that secondly we have to do that and include ourselves within the world that we are nature, we are animals, and we are not outside of that. We tend to forget that we might be on top of the food chain, but we're still on the food chain. We might, this is not some hierarchy that we've somehow gotten ourselves away from, that we're so different than that. Everything dies, right? Hearken the Lion King, right? It is the circle of life. And if we can talk about the circle of life, we must include death in that conversation for everything. And and we can go through exercises of what if things don't die? Mm. What if that animal didn't die? Then the bugs that eat it don't die and the soil doesn't regenerate and the tree doesn't grow and everything else around it does die. And, right, and then we finally get life in balance, right? What happens if you don't have the great wolf in Yellowstone National Park? Right? So we have to really understand our place in the world and talk about death as a good thing. Then maybe we can have the conversation of how how we comfortably get there from a religious and a medical standpoint, and, and, and finally, I'll say this, this very trite, trite statement. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. This, this, I, I, I am thinking about this, this person that I just referenced, right? This person has Alzheimer's and has 24-7 care, and her physical body was strong enough to withstand the ability of putting in a pacemaker. For the love of God, let her die. Right, like <laughs> seriously and, but this particular family couldn't hear that because oh anything that we can do to keep a person alive that's what we have to do
0: mm.
2: so that's, that's my anecdotal and also sort of personal
0: there was a, a really poignant um, character in, uh, in Doctor Who a couple of years ago she was a Viking girl And their village was invaded by this race of aliens, as often happens on Doctor Who. And she was mortally wounded. And the doctor took one of the healing packs from this alien race and put it on her to bring her back to life. Because her death was unacceptable to to him. Uh, The problem was the technology wasn't designed for humans. And so it kind of... wore her out like a battery and then the technology in it fused with her and essentially became self-replicating and healed her continuously and so her body physically could never die the problem with that is that she was still human in every other way she was just a human that never aged and so she was like 13 14 years old forever and so she started to forget things because she could only remember so far back. And so the doctor encountered her again later but by that point she had forgotten who she was. She could only hold about seven, 800 years worth of memory in her mind. So she had forgotten who she was, who her family was, her name at that point. She started going by me. Uh, her name was, uh, originally was Isildur but she started going by me because that's all she could remember. And her personality had changed drastically by that point. And, and, and the doctor meets her in all of these various times throughout this season. And every time he meets her, she's a little bit different. And she he has to kind of tell her who she is every time and why she is the way that she is. And she gets angry with him for doing this to her because she has, she doesn't know what it means to be herself or to be a human, and she ends up being the last creature alive in the universe, in the eventual heat death of the universe. And she can't retain the wisdom that she's acquired, because she keeps forgetting it. She, uh, she keeps loving and watching people die and experiencing mm-hmm. heartbreak, and there's just so many things that happen to her that were unexpected because we don't know what it's like to have a human that continues to live and to be healed forever. And so much of what we take for granted of what it means to be a human is just based on being a human. And so there's like all of these potential ethical questions about why would you want to live forever? Um, I mean, Um, the idea of, like, uploading your brain into the cloud so that you exist as information forever, but you're this disembodied experience of data which no human has ever experienced before, and you would cease to exist in any meaningful, human-like way. You'd be a different sort of thing. And I... So there's... There's just a lot of questions about the experience of life. That's all tied up in all of our embodiedness, in all of our frailty, in all of our brokenness, and the confusing web that is our neurons, that it just feels very irresponsible. <laughs> A lot of these sort of pie-in-the-sky aspirations. Well, I think behind them is this
1: idea that like, frailty is something to be overcome. Right. And that i what's interesting to me about that is like I think that resonates with religious traditions in really different ways at really different points in history um, but certainly in the transhumanist sort of like vision right it's just it's just this like pure weakness mm-hmm. that we want to like rid ourselves of
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it's it's not reading that in a nuanced way that I think is really really. Problematic. I love that like image from the like from Doctor Who. That's like such like a brilliant like mm. description of the problems that come with sort
0: of running into this too quickly mm. without some forethought. It's the ninth ninth season of the of the revival, fifth episode, "The Girl Who Died." Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Well, and there's lots of other
3: examples from you know. Movies and TV of the impact of either not, not necessarily maybe of living forever, but living in a very, very unnaturally long time. And, you know, you, it, they touch on the character having to lose all of their loved ones over and over and over again. Huh. Right. And so, and then it makes you think about if people were saying the goal would be to get rid of that feeling of that pain, um, you know, back to Star Trek again for you, Rachel. But um, what was it movie five, The Final Frontier, when Spock's half brother was trying to help people? He was using a trick to make people forget their pain. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Kirk was adamant that, no, we're, I'm not doing that because my pain is who made me is, is part of what made me who I am now. Right? It informs so, who
2: I am and what I will do.
3: Right. And so, yeah, I I like what you said, Rachel, earlier about just because you can. Does that mean you should? I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to sit there, you know, live for hundreds of years and constantly watch my loved ones die.
2: I I would I would expand that, actually. Even if we even if we still get to experience those parts of life and not watch our loved ones die, if they also get to be immortal until they die whatever that whatever that then turns out to mean right i still wouldn't want that for anything or anybody i mean at at one point was so i you know i I talked about that we're almost approaching eight billion people on this planet and if you look at it was i think it was about 1800 when we hit one billion consecutive humans alive and then to two to five and the The growth that we have experienced in the last two hundred years, right? We're up to eight billion people. If people stop dying, are people stop being born? If the answer is yes, that gives that opens up a whole new category. If the answer is no, then we're looking at like resources. <laughs> like, if people keep, if people keep being born. <clears throat> We're eventually going to run out of resources and then suffering will become catastrophic. If people stop being born, then all of those firsts that we experience ourselves or those firsts that we watch secondhand that give us renewed energy, the first love, the first kiss, the first step, the first rainbow, the firsts. Those cease to exist too, and then we hit a completely different wall of lack of joy in life. And that's a whole nother catastrophe, not just a resources catastrophe, but a resources of happiness catastrophe. And I know that's not necessarily this full concept of transhumanism, right? but Right, where death is only a singular part of it. But if that's really what we're going for, then we need to look at our ethics. And we need to look at what are the results of doing this or of being this. And we need to look at those questions of, well, what is necessary and sufficient to be human? Mm-hmm. What, what does it mean to be human? And if it's not just transporting your brain to a cloud and well, what is it? It's not just the neurons. There's this magic that we haven't yet figured out what it is, because we can't replicate the brain. We can't replicate the body's experience. And how dare we suggest that it's a person that doesn't have the exact same neurotypical understanding of these neurons is not human? Like, how dare we do that? That's a whole nother eugenics issue, too. And, and, and I just – the last thing that I'm going to say on this sort of mini rant is uh, this necessary and sufficient piece. What are they, both experiential but also physically? And it just brings to mind the philosophical argument of the ship of Theseus.
1: I like that it always comes back. To the ship of Theseus, right?
0: Theseus, <laughs> just maintain your ship a little better. Guys.
1: You know what you find when you go down the wormhole? Drive it so hard. The ship of the Theseus. Ship
2: of Theseus. <laughs> <laughs> What's at the center of every wormhole? The ship of Theseus. The ship of Theseus.
0: <laughs> he got very lost,
2: <laughs> or maybe he's found.
0: seems like a good time to bring up the fact that transhumanism looks very different in different places in the world. Yes. That uh, one of the major streams of it comes out of, out of Russia, and they draw a lot of their inspiration from the writings of uh, Nikolai Fedorov, who was an, a Russian Orthodox priest. And so a lot of his advocacy for, and and I should mention, he's writing in the late 19th century, so we're not talking yet about all of the technological advancements that we have today. He's imagining a lot of this stuff, but he imagines that there will come a day when we will be able to extend life almost indefinitely. And when we do, we have the moral responsibility to do so for the good of all humanity and to then Because we are enjoying that privilege for ourselves, we have the moral duty to do so for our ancestors who gave this life to us. So we should resurrect our parents from the dead to give back the life that they gave to us as a moral duty, and then they likewise to resurrect their parents. Assuming that this sort of technology exists in the future, and then also assuming that this sort of technology is evenly distributed, and that the resources exist to do so. So this needs to be something that we're thinking about as well, that as we resurrect our ancestors, we're also giving them the ability to either require less food, or that the world is able to, to sustain more. And he imagines that this great resurrection talked about in the book of Revelation of where God is bringing up those saints who have come before us, that this is something that is not going to be God doing in the end times, but is something that is, we are going to participate with God in doing. And so we will be creating the new heaven and the new earth through our own um, technology and, and and benevolence, and that this needs to be widely distributed. And so that plus the, 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 the communist revolution and the idea of shared utopia mean, meant that the Russian stream of this is very us-focused. It's very focused on, like, great, we're going to sustain life and, and eliminate suffering, but how are we going to distribute this evenly? Instead of letting it fall into the hands of a couple of powerful people, whereas the American version is what we've been talking about—that comes a lot out of the expansionism and the American exceptionalism and the 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 technocracy of of, of America. That um, so it's the same concept, though the one in Russia is coming more out of a um, a Christian ethic and a communist sense of us as opposed to the American exceptionalism of I, which a lot of folks in America who are really in on this imagine a that humanity will become almost like little gods, but there will be far fewer of us, and that there will be a sort of necessary culling of the weaker. Those <laughs> who are very honest about the actual implications of what this looks like down the road will, will admit that that's a part of it. Because it almost necessarily has to be if you're not going to be concerned with, you know, genetically modifying humans that they don't require as much food, you know, or or giving us chlorophyll or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I, I mean, I think that really matters too,
1: right? Because it, it's a good example of where the values um, of a particular tradition or place will infuse the way in which you talk about what constitutes transhumanism really differently, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, this vision that comes with a, right, a certain, like, Russian Orthodox sensibility deeply embedded in it looks really different than, like, Ray Kurzweil, who's probably the most famous American transhumanist. He wrote about the the singularity, right, Mm -hmm. Um, is really different than, like, So, like, the the group that's particularly interesting to me right now are the folks who identify as Buddhist transhumanists, right? What are the ways in which physical and mental augmentation can help one realize Buddhist goals of reducing suffering and realizing awakening? So, it has, like, built into it, like, this, like, inner movement component, which I think is really fascinating and very different than a conversation that's focused on death, the way that we've talked about it, right? So this is, to me, this is what's really interesting about transhumanism is if if for so long religion and science sort of said, hey, you can do your thing, you can do your thing, when you get to the point of transhumanism, you you can't play that smoothly anymore. It it really, dis- that, that ground disappears from under you. Um, and you have to confront these questions that... I like to poke my more science-oriented colleagues with, which is to say, which values are influencing the way you talk about doing your science? And maybe, as we hit these more systemic questions, you can't neatly parcel that out anymore.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It may just be part of what you're doing. And that's okay, but let's you know, be honest about that. Or or think about it critically. Or, you know, ask for help from your humanities colleagues (laughs) who have spent the better part of their careers thinking specifically about these issues.
0: Hmm. And hire them if you can, because they need work. They would like to
1: work. (laughs) They're good partners in your lab group, making sure you don't do something utterly unethical.
2: Right. I mean, I... We so need that. Speaking as a person who worked as a bench scientist, we so need ethicists and philosophers and people who ask these deeper questions about what is the end goal that you're going to achieve by doing X, Y, or Z. The end end goal, not this, here's a lovely cream for eczema and this one person's life Will be better for it. Is that the end goal? Truly. And if it's not, then what is it? Where is suffering happening here? Right? It's very powerful. Right. And 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 I think, you know, you, you first asked about this question about cyborgs, right? And and you know, I definitely chose I definitely chose one who's sort of a, a classic looking part. Part machine, part human. I think if we remove those Hollywood imagery from our brains, we can start to think about what a cyborg could look like in the human form in this transhuman nature that doesn't isn't just metal or, or you know, as my husband and I have been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, Deathlock. <laughs> uh, Such
0: others. a good character arc
2: such a great one. Right. But please don't spoil it. We've just started season 2 and oh. we're so like we are so far behind. So please Oh, I
0: wish I could start season 2 for the first time. So you good. You I don't so, remember. So like that's much of
2: it. that's another great it. cyborg that we could we could have talked about and like what's going mm-hmm. on with his humanity. Again, I'm not spoiling anything for anybody else cuz I'm 6 years behind. <laughs> um <laughs> so like what's his when he recognizes humanity, what is what is going on with him as his own body is changing? But what is the evilness that is getting him there, too? And uh, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, that's for, you know, when we go to the TV shows, not when we go to the movies. Um, I do think it's really interesting how much, like, science fiction
1: helps us, like, think through in really critical ways. Not only the science, but also the, like... Ethics and morals—the the, the yes. way in which we're answering the "should" question, exactly. right? Mm-hmm. That like, there's something about that speculative imagination that I think is really, really important to to not lose in religious and theological traditions too, right? And and recognize that 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 element really cuts both ways in in how we talk about this in religion and science.
2: You were asking about a half hour ago. How do we bridge? I think science fiction is a bridge um, between between these different worlds, between these these worlds, which sometimes we want them to maintain their independence. Um, I think science fiction can can help get us there.
0: Clearly, I mean the the effect that that Star Trek had in the sixties on uh, on on furthering a lot of these agendas, or, or think about uh, about what X Men. Was, was truly about right. when kids were reading these comics about these people that were born with, different and than, than the, the normal and that were hated for it and some that fought back violently and some that tried to reintegrate and the problems of all of that. And how many kids internalized that and when they grew up had a helpful analog for then working it out in real time? Man, I, I think we are kind of working this out in real time in these days, too. I mean, just look at the arguments at the the debates in in the senate right now about about trans kids oh god and Mm. sports like somehow this is
2: right
0: Mm. somehow this is a big problem now uh, that we all have to address on a federal level (laughs) about how uh trans people can can compete in sports because this is so important that it has to be decided in the senate and we're kind of working this out in real time we're saying to those people that you are not who you say you are and we know better about who you say you are and you claim to be a woman so that you can compete in women's sports and win but we know who you really are and you're doing violence to those people and you are diminishing their their personhood because of some fear i think about Mm -hmm. how it diminishes your own.
2: Oh, it hurts my heart.
0: Right? Your perception. I I, I said before we were recording that I never truly understood Jesus until I studied queer Christology and the whole, like, dual nature of Christ— where the early church fought about this for so long, that Jesus is fully human, fully divine. But what does that mean? And does he have—what is his will? Does he have a fully human will? And how is that in contradiction to the God? And how can he be both at once, but neither, but something else? And we have all of these formulations, these philosophical formulations, that never felt satisfactory until I read a trans person's account. Of how they read Jesus, and suddenly Jesus made so much sense. Or when somebody explained John one and Jesus coming into the world, um, but being rejected by the world, but still loving the world despite the world, the fact that the world didn't know him as he truly was. Like when somebody explained that as God's coming out and the power and vulnerability behind that. Like I understood that for the first time in my life, and so we are working this out in real time, and we're, we're discovering our own prejudices inside of us, and I think that science fiction and movies and books and art and all of these things are helping us to work them out in safe spaces so that when they actually affect real people in Senate decisions and whatnot, that we're maybe a little bit more careful about where our prejudices actually lie.
2: plug everyone should have to take organic chemistry one to understand <laughs> I'm good
0: wait I, I think I'm going to need a little bit of context That's for sad. that
1: one
3: I didn't have to take it and I'm really happy
1: yeah um, wait 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 hold on wait no no you didn't have to take OCHEM one mm-hmm. how was that even possible degree. wait wait you Fine. did environmental science so you didn't have to take OCHEM one that is correct
2: you should Tennessee ask for your State. money back. My thing was uh,
1: my my
3: <laughs> concentration yeah. was geology. Uh, um, science, geology uh, concentration. So that was not one of the required. Which I I'm didn't. I'm kind of know a Sheldon
2: and, on this one. We called that rocks for it,
0: jocks when I was in school. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it.
3: I was so happy I didn't have to take that class. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, you should. Um, and I'm the good. reason I'm good. the reason I say that in context of this conversation. <laughs> Is because if you can use the scientific understandings of cis and trans, I think it allows, which is a science thing, it allows for a better understanding of just a difference of humans as opposed to an othering of humans, Hmm. of a, well, that's not natural, or that's not normal, or that's not my experience. If you start to understand and just see things on a plane of existence and say some things are on this plane of existence and some things are on a different plane of existence. And some things rotate back and forth between these planes of existence. Right? This is whole the I'm I'm making the analogy here of the non-binary Um, where it just rotates and can exist in both or neither, right? If we can understand that from the science level, which is why everyone should take OCHEM, at least one, then perhaps we can understand that from a human level. And we don't start looking at each other and we label each other, well, you're so different that I have to other you,
1: so what you're really saying is that my religion degree needs to now include Okim one.
2: Absolutely, it does. Okay. Yeah, put that on your schedule for next year for your. So for I your should students. go
1: back and take it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I do, and I mean I mean this very seriously. I think, you know, I, then again I'm I'm definitely the person you know I. <laughs> I have a chemistry degree and I'm a rabbi, so I kind of like to live in both worlds of of this. And I think that's our obligation to to ourselves be transhuman. That's my definition, or maybe I'm I'm far more post human that let's just move beyond these definitions of, of othering. Um, sadly I have to be other and and leave now and, and leave you all. Um, but we'll continue our conversation next week.
0: Well, Adam, do you have any final thoughts as Rachel has left us, and we have just about two minutes remaining since you started us off? Do you have oh, any man. final closing I, thoughts for us? I don't okay. have any
1: final thoughts. I never have final thoughts. Also, you do now. I, I mean, how do you how do you like top Rachel's ability to jump to requiring organic chemistry for humanities people? I, I mean that. That was pretty brilliant. I... uh, I I mean, I I think what I will say is, like, I I think actually what I really liked about... What I really like about her example is that it puts in a very clear way how important this movement back and forth in language is for science and religion dialogue. Right? Mm -hmm. And... Which scientific analogies we choose to pick up matter, and which implicit values are shaping the way we do science matter, and the ways in which that we want to talk about pulling forward values from our religious traditions matters, and and none of that is self-evident. I think that's the other piece that came through as we were talking, like, about you know the various ways that we want to talk about transhumanism right The values that we use to talk about suffering and death and aging aren't self-evident and they're not always the same and that's okay. In fact one could maybe even argue that's good um but where we get into trouble is when we suddenly imagine that they can be um, And I think for me that's that's always been my big frustration with transhumanism sort of writ large in the general public is that it gets presented as though the values that are pursued are self-evident and I want to say no way no way is that true and also that doesn't mean that like all transhumanism's bad like because that's that tends to I think be the knee-jerk reaction the other way it's like oh we shouldn't do this like yes we need to really carefully question that can doesn't always mean should but Sometimes we should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't mean we don't, and I think that's the other like element that I think is really important to tease out. Um, but we have to have honest conversation to do that. Mm-hmm. So, here's to honest conversation. Yay! I like honest conversation. <laughs>